Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Panamanian-born jazz pianist, composer, humanitarian, and activist, the great Danilo Perez. He happened to be on the road as gigs are starting to happen again, and he is also in the midst of promoting a new upcoming album. The cornerstone of his mission is that he believes that a united global perspective for the arts and social justice are keys to moving humanity forward in harmony. And with his brand new album, he is moving forward with what he calls global jazz. He was born in Panama and began his studies when he was three years old with his father, who was a band leader and singer. He went on to get a bachelor's degree in electronics in Panama and will move on to study jazz composition at the prestigious Berkeley College of Music. Over the years, he has gigged and collaborated with jazz giants from Dizzy Gillespie to Wayne Shorter and so many in between for over three decades. He's got a fascinating story and he's a wonderful cat. Enjoy. Mr. Perez, this is a, an honor. I've been really wanting to talk to you for quite some time. So thank you for taking a minute out for the show. I appreciate it. Uh, fantastic. My pleasure. So, you know, as I mentioned up front, you know, this has been quite a two-year run. You know, it's been strange, too, because... You know, stadiums have filled up. So many things that we've seen with our eye on TV have opened up. But musicians largely have been kind of shuttered away from a lot of the music and a lot of the things. And it's so good to see you back. And you have a brand new album. You're on the road right now. This has to be quite relieving for you right now. Absolutely. It feels really uh, um, empowering. It feels very hopeful. And I think, I think it speaks to the power of music in our society. You know, I'm ready to go on the road. I, it really feels great to be playing for people again and be sharing our art. Uh, as a social activist, I believe that music is the way to redirect humanity into a, into a positive direction. So this is exciting. Yeah, and you know, before I deviate from the new album and what's going on right now, you know, I've noticed that over your history, especially early on with your work with Dizzy Gillespie and the United Nations, you know, it seems as though any time I've ever heard about those missions, the unified one language we all understand on this planet is music. And that has to be one of the most captivating parts of you being a humanitarian to, to deliver that message. Absolutely, uh, Joe. The, 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 there's two things that I, that I feel music brings so much to the, to the equation in the transformation of humanity. It connects us and, all, and humanizes us. See, right there is very powerful. Right there, it's it's really the key. How music connects us and, and humanizes us. Dizzy was such a happy, wonderful person that was so good at unifying. Was that something that you took a lot of notes from from him and how he lived his life? Absolutely. One beside the amazing knowledge in music, and he and he was one of the founders of this music. One of the of the great aspect of of my relationship with, with him was learning to, to see how he thought of music as a diplomatic tool. I learned a lot from that, you know, because I was in a band called the United Nations Orchestra. And I could see how he was envisioning a new world. He was reimagining a new world through music with people from all different countries playing together. Yeah, he was magnificent at it. You know, through your evolution as a solo artist, you've had different incarnations of sound and ensembles. This new album that you have coming out is, is yet another testament to your evolution as a musician. What was kind of the overarching philosophy and how much did the pandemic play into the way that you artistically constructed this project? 
Well, it's interesting you ask that. To start with, I actually was in the process of making the record when the pandemic hit. So there's a part of, you know, I think the, the pandemic contributed to a, a development, actually, if, if, if you wanted to, to think it this way. Because, you know, many artists, uh, many of us, you know, we're always creating these uh, spaces, these mystical spaces, these mystical cities where we reimagine a new, a new world, a new, a new society, a society full of hope and love. Precisely that for me is a space that I visualize as a multicultural platform that is protected. We birth as human beings through the interconnection of music with other arts. This is a, a space, Joe, that I'm imagining where we can touch upon creative topics like immigration, climate change, social justice, environment, you know, the environment. For me, Chrysalida is a, is a protected stage of development, of human development. Uh, we're living in a transitional period and trying to figure out what to do. What happened with, what, with whatever we do in this moment is going to be crucial to have a future. We don't have answers, concrete answers right now, but we have music and we have each other and we have love and we have to access and project light, my brother. And hopefully the world slowing down and us not having control over things will help us put those things into focus because I think that's a part of musicians reemerging to the stage that hopefully we find a level of appreciation for the arts that we may never have had and that would translate to what you're saying with the environment and just humanity overall. Absolutely. I think music is, we got to give it a try. We got to give us the right to experience music as a therapy and as a human right. You know, the one thing that I'm curious about is, is someone that loves jazz and celebrates it. And as you as a practitioner of it, I'm curious, how do you see the world, the jazz community reemerging stronger now that everything is kind of opening up and cats are putting music out that they've really worked on during this pandemic and the live stage will open back up. How do you think the community is going to emerge stronger? I think, first of all, um, for the artists to to understand the gift they have, to, to cultivate that gift for the betterment of humanity, I think, I think it comes from the, uh, the artists playing a key role in reimagining a new society, a new world. But I think also really uh, creating um, uh, groups of, col of collaborators, people who care, not only musicians, but the, the values that you practice through music. There's a lot of people who do who those the same. They do the same in their careers. And I, I believe that creating new spaces for collaboration, creating new... Uh, Opportunities, for example, I believe um, a, a little sample of a Crisalida and a, and a forward movement momentum, good news for the world, is the Panama Jazz Festival. The Panama Jazz Festival is sort of like a, a small Crisalida that we have built in Panama. Through music, we have been able to cultivate a, a philosophy to be able to, to put together a group of volunteers who handle a festival very professional, especially, like I give you an example, during the pandemics. You know, I got COVID, my wife was sick. Believe it that, that, that the volunteers 
of, you know, some of them started when they were eight years old. They took care of the festival. It was amazing. You see, that's, that's where it's going to come when we start using, like I believe from music important, that the music gives you what we talk about, connection and humanization, but also it helps you to develop skills and team, like a team teamwork skill. It helps for the com concentration. Music therapy has proven that music helps in so many in, in, in the brain, you know, how it could, it could help to the plasticity, to improve the plasticity of the brain. So, you know, I think we got to, like, work together, use music um, as a, as a not, not just take away the entertainment. I think it's, there is a lesson we learned during the pandemic is that music role in the world is more than, than just entertainment. So let's go back to your childhood in Panama. You start playing the piano at three, around 68, and you're hooked, and, and that's the beginnings. Talk to me about growing up in Panama and what the culture was like to cultivate such a love for you to not only do what you've done with music, but to become a humanitarian that you are. Well, you know, at around two years old, actually, I started playing. My, my father gave me a first pair of bongos. That's how I started into music. But, but see, I, there's, a, there's something interesting. My father was a teacher, and he experimented in an um, underprivileged uh, area of Panama using music as a tool for the kids to learn subjects like mathematics, uh, Spanish. You know, he noticed that, that they would learn and they would actually do better in the school, learning all the subjects. So he put music to all the materials. Imagine that. It started, my, my, my relationship to music was from that with my dad. I could barely speak, he said, but I, I could play, you know, for example, he would say, como esta, like, how are you? He would say, tan, tan, tan. He would play like that. And, and I would say, tan, and that means fine. You know what I mean? So I started playing and understanding how music connects us and how music is, is a part of our daily life, even, even in, in the, in the, from the beginning. Growing up around that kind of relationship and having a, a mother who was uh, um, uh, very involved in politics and in the change of, of, of government in Panama, I think my foundation was clearly established there to, to have to see, to feel the power of, of, uh, of, of music and to really practice music as an interconnective tool for education. You see that from right there, I started to see how we can learn everything about the world through music. And then through the experiences of my mother, I started to get involved in social justice and, and all the work I do that. As, uh, you know, somebody really is getting into the social activism deep into, you know, I, I believe in that. I believe that's our role. And, and that's, our, that's where my foundation started. That's beautiful. You know, the one thing that's interesting about your path, too, is before you came to the Berkeley College of Music, you got an electronics degree in Panama. Talk to me a little bit about how that came about and how that translated into you eventually getting into music and going to Berkeley. Wow. <laughs> it's, very <laughs> common, it's very common, John, in our, in our country, Latin America, and many other countries in the world, that, that music 
it's really seen as a side, as a hobby, because it, you know, so many biases related to that, especially the one that you cannot survive playing music. With that frame of mind, my mother said, you know, you have to do like my, like my, like your dad. My dad was a singer and also an educator. And and she said, you know, because he couldn't, we he couldn't be able to afford this family just singing. You know, we need to we need to make a deal, you know, because because you, you can't just study music. And and I said okay, and that's when you know I started studying electronic. It was sort of like to give my mother, um, to to create leverage, you know, to make a deal with her to negotiate, um, the studies of music in my life. So. All the way to, you know, my 16 years old, uh, we have a seat. You know, I started very young in school. I, I was I was almost like, you know, in four four years I started school. <laughs> what happened is is you know by that time you know electronic was was something that I was gonna do my career, and uh, I went even to the first year of uh, the the uh, being a technician you know, as a as an electronic major. But, you know, I saw I saw in my mind I had a little little like a deja vu of me playing and people clapping and I just saw my career as a musician in one second. But yes, it's true. I was going I was fixing T V, I was you know, I was doing I was doing the electronic heavily. And that was supposed to be what I was gonna do as a main career. And on the side, I would play music. So you know, I told you know I changed that deal in one day. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, man. So was it always a dream of yours to come to America? I mean, is that was that kind of knowing that jazz was going to be your path? That was the destination for you? N- not really. I I had a <clears throat> we had a visit when we were six years old. When I was six years old to Boston, actually, and and it was a an uncle of our. Who, who graciously paid the ticket and invited us, but when I, my mother said that when I got to Boston, immediately I got out of there and I said, this is the place I want to end up living my life, or I want to live, something like that, she said. So I think it's just pure synchronicity with, with my own um, life, and, you know, I had no high expectation about coming to the United States. I, all I wanted to, to do was to come to study and to come back to my country and help my my people. So, you know, early on, you know, when you were at Berkeley, you learned from Paquito de Riviera, Slide Hampton, John Hendricks, and then that led to you early on being around Jack DeJohnette, and as we mentioned, Dizzy Gillespie. And at that point in your life, these people are elders, they're they're legendary. And you were at that point in your life in the, in the jazz craft of being a, a luminary and one that, that is a light to the young players. My question is, what did these elders early on teach you that you in turn have used to teach younger cats you get around? Well, as I said before, Dizzy Gillespie really, really made an impact in me because he, he taught me the value of music as a diplomatic tool. That's very powerful. When I play with Paquito da Rivera, for example, I learn a lot about the learning about our history of Latin American music to be able to mix it and to be able to understand it from the foundation. I also had 
some some opportunities to lead for the first time. I was with Paquito. He gave me opportunity to lead the band. When I played with Roy Hines, for example, one of the things that I that confirmed to me was the connection uh, with with the Caribbean. For example, the first question he asked me, Joe, he said, "I bet you don't know who brought me to New York and gave me my first gig to perform with him, who gave me a gig." And I said, no, he said, a Panamanian orchestra leader, the director of the Louis Armstrong, what became the Louis Armstrong with the Louis Russell Orchestra. He, his name was Louis Russell from oh. Panama. You know, I learned that from from Roy Haynes. And wow. you know, that, that was amazing. So, you know, many, many of them, I, 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 I learned so many things, you know, that, that – Steve Lacey, for example, show me show me the importance of you know words in your playing, in a way, you know, and then all the way to you know the relationship with uh, you know I call him my second father, Wayne Shorter. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that. You know, Wayne had to have been a huge leap of so many things that you've learned in your life. Yes, Wayne was very important in my life. Uh, Wayne is very important in my life and uh, he I think he he connected me he helped me to, to, to connect my life to see music as a celebration of our life you know when you play music you're celebrating life that that if you're doing a lot of things for example one thing I learned from him that was very powerful I say Wayne he said hey Danilo I didn't know you were a social activist and all of that. I was like, that's amazing. He said, I said, yeah, when sometimes I feel like I have to wear so many hats when I, you know, teacher and social activist and this and that. He said, yeah, Danilo, but, you know, just write and play and compose the way you want the world to be like. And that comment proved to be very powerful for me, Joe. That yeah. united me. That was incredible. That That's it. That, from that day, that changed. Also, I have to credit Wayne with my marriage and my family. You know, he he recognized there was a little bit of fear in there or, or concern about getting married, getting committed, and developing, like, you know, for him, he it was important. And the way that he came up about it was really funny. I asked him, Wayne, you know, why do you think I should keep working? And, my, you know, I was thinking about music, like, well, how how could I keep improving? He said, you need to get married. <laughs> and, and I think what, what years later I heard Carolina, his wife, say he was concerned that Danilo think he needs more music lessons, but what he needs is more life lessons. So he can, he can that's, that's what you play, more life lessons, more stories, so he can play that and he can bring that to his play. And I'm so grateful for that lesson, man. Every day you wake up, you have the chance to create music. That's, that's your profession. What do you look forward to the most every day you wake up? What brings you the most joy as being a professional musician? The, the connection with people, the, the, the sharing of music, the sharing, the, the magic, the, the divine experience that you feel when you start connecting with people through sounds, the improvisation aspect, the, the, the way we are we can practice so much optimism and healing behaviors. I just love that, man. I love it when, when I get on the piano, 
It's, I don't love the piano. I find out during the pandemic that that's not my love. Like some people love the instrument. I love to become in connection with the piano so I can talk, I can dialogue in ways that are invisible to the world, to, to ourselves, but that we make it visible through music. That ability to transform an invisible world of beauty into visibility. I love that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into your younger self, maybe before you left Panama to come to the United States or around the time that you were becoming a professional musician. And all of the wisdom that you've gained over all these years, if you could give your younger version of yourself one piece of wisdom or advice that you've learned over the years, what would it be? Well, that's an incredible, incredible question. A piece of advice that I would give myself with all the experience I have, get married sooner. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make Wayne happy. <laughs> it's being amazing. There was, there was no reason to be afraid. You know what I mean, and um, you know I I, I gotta t I gotta I gotta tell you, it, 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 doing this this uh, you know like like this interview for example and 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 playing music, it it's just a way to find harmony, and and harmonize yourself with your with your life, and you find people who are in the same path, and that's a very optimistic and I'm, I'm hopeful message that we have in this world, that we do exist, that we do care, and there is a, a lot of people, either that play music or do other things or have other careers, but that music could be a tuning fork where we can find each other, we can find that note to, to harmonize us. Yeah, that's just so helpful to me, like, like the band I have, for example, they all people from, like, students from Palestine, Greece, Jordan, and United States, we found common ground at, at the Berkeley uh, Global Jazz Institute, which is an institute that I founded. The purpose in mind uh, of cultivating a sense of like vision that that is speak to to the artists of the new millennium. For example, we believe that when you have a gift, you have a responsibility with the world, with your community. And I found this amazing talent there, and and we call. The music we call, which I also, I also, um, I forgot to mention, the, mus the type of music we play, we call it global jazz music. You know, we're just reinforcing the, the global aspect of this music, which it had it from the beginning. And I define it as music that, that is inclusive, is welcoming of different nationalities, it, indigenous instruments, folkloric music, combined with our great love with jazz as a, as our anchoring foundation. So this is where I see the world, a new world through global jazz, creating a common language and promoting music as uh, Joe, like uh, sort of like a virtual bridge <laughs> between people and culture. That's where I see the power of, of, of our work in this moment. And I love the visual that you've explained of your father teaching you language through music. So the depths of you understanding that is probably w way, way deeper than I can even imagine. It's, it, that interconnection is powerful because, because music, you know, as we know, 
when when you hear music, we all are activated. Our brains, all the cells in brains are, are activated by by that by those frequencies. Understanding music in a way that is that is not just like oh, this is music to entertain. This is music for therapy. We need it as a healing tool for humanity, as a human right, as even as a as a part of a law. We should have it in a public law. In a, in a law, in a public health law, you know, that music is not just like having fun or entertaining, but it is a powerful tool for, for sustainability and to, and to keep developing as human beings. You know, I have one final question for you, and it's this. Everyone has a perception of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, your students, but you ultimately live your life. You have a perception of who you are. Who do you think you are? A student of life. Right on. A student, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the maximum. Uh, you know, there's one, one school you don't graduate, the school of the street, the university of life. You can't take a, a diploma. So I like that concept, that there's never an end to that. You know what I mean? But one final thought about that is, like, I think, you know, I want to be an eternal student. I don't want to miss anything on the art of living. This is what this is the pursuit, man. I'm trying to figure out the quest for for wisdom and quest for freedom in everything that we do. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Thank you again. You're a beautiful soul. I really appreciate you opening up and and truly uh, good luck as we reemerge into the world with the new album and the return to the stage. I look forward to hearing so much more as your career expands out. Thank you very much for the support, and this was a very, I mean, what a way to start the, the day. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Panama, Boston, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Danilo for his time, music, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit neonjazz at youtube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.